Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you, everybody. I'm from Starkville. This is my hometown. Um, my, that's a project my father worked on, the XV-11A, that was flew in 1967 here. It was one of the very first composite airplanes ever flown in the country, actually in the world. And it was developed and built here in Mississippi State. Mississippi State's got a big history of aviation flight test. I thought that was a business I was going to be in. It's a family business. After that, he started several businesses and um, to the point where he tra was training all the NATO test pilots around the world. I, many years ago, realized that I could be in the family business or I could get out of it. I decided to get out of it and get into the wind energy business. And when I got into it back in the early 1983s, as you can see, the wind turbines were tiny. We could actually put the turbines in the back of a pickup and move them around. The last project we just finished, one blade is 175 feet long. The generators weigh about 80,000 pounds. The top of the machine weighs uh, 240,000 pounds. That just gives you an idea how big we've gone. From being able to haul it in the back of a pickup to the bolts are 18 inches long and they're about two inches in diameter. And uh, they weigh about 25 pounds, just the bolt. And each tower section holds about 175 bolts per tower section. There's four tower sections. Our foundation anchor bolts are 32 feet long, and they're two inches in diameter, and when we stretch them, we stretch them seven-eighths of an inch. That's how much pull we put on them. We put 70,000 pounds of pressure on them, just kind of give you an idea. So it is an engineering world out there. Um, one of the things I learned in the early days was, was safety, quality, and how to work in a team in aviation. Aviation was very big on uh, safety and quality. Not much on budget, not much on schedules. Um, and in the wind business, I learned budget, schedules, and all that. So I was able to take what I learned from aviation and put it into the wind stuff. Um, been doing this for 33 years. Um, we peaked out at 300 employees a few years ago. Uh, we are in a process of uh, trying to wind down uh, I'm trying to, to semi-retire, uh, but I got a very interesting phone call yesterday from one of my clients who wants me to do a very large project with them, so maybe I'll be coming out of retirement, I don't know. <laughs> you, never, you never say no uh, until you understand the whole thing, and then you say no. <laughs> but give you an idea, that's a, a boat, I mean an Airbus 380 right up there beside those rotors. That kind of gives you an idea. Like I said, the project we did in California, that's a football field spinning in the air. Just kind of give you an idea how big that is. Kind of what I thought is, I kind of would go through, these are the companies I own. I won't go through all of them, but one of the things is, I always, in my office, I have a big sign up there, is one bite at a time. And that's, how do you get an off one? Because anytime we do these big projects or we take on a big challenge, if you look at it as a challenge, you can overwhelm you. And that's something you're gonna learn being in your own business. You've gotta be able to manage the big challenges. And I've always said you do it one step at a time. You break it down into bite size and when you can. Um, my, my IT folks are having fun with the graphics here. Especially that one. <laughs> 
And the way we do it is we break it down into groups. And we have experts at each of the different groups. And we'll go through these. It's just, you know, the journey's a thousand miles begins with one step. Boy, is that ever a true statement. It is very important, in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, everybody does things differently. So my way might not be your way. It might not work what business you're in. But what I decided to do today when Mike asked me to do this is I said, I'm going to kind of give you some of the lessons learned that I learned. Kind of wish someone had done that for me when I was starting because I made a lot of mistakes. As I tell people, one of these days I'm going to figure out how to build a wind farm, but today I know how not to build a wind farm. And that is very important. So you got to have a vision. And, what was, and I said we wanted to be a premier utility-grade wind construction. We didn't want to build home wind farms. We wanted to build for utilities. And we didn't want to do what we call the track homes can everybody hear me okay? Okay. Uh, we didn't want to do the track homes where it was flat, easy build, just go and build them. We wanted to do the challenging where it took a lot of engineering or it took a lot of political strength or it took a lot of, you know, or a combination of both. So that's what we focused on. And I said, okay, how do we do that? And I came up with five things I think very important. And that one of them is be a premier team player. That's not counting our team. That's our team mixing in with the local government, the federal government, the local landowners, the, our client, the investor group, the turbine manufacturer. Because what you'll usually find, and I think this is a big mistake made in business, you think the client's a person paying you. I guarantee you they're not your only client. There's a lot of other people involved, like in our case, if we upset a landowner, the landowner is going to go to our investor group that are paying us, and then they're going to be mad at us. So you got to kind of take, you got to see, you got to look at the picture and figure out where everybody is, and how you interact with them. And so being a premier team player is a big thing for me. Understand that for us. Safety. I, the worst call I, I've never made, and I'll knock on wood, I do not want to call anybody's spouse and say, we killed their spouse today. We're in a very high hazard business. We deal with th up to 345,000 volts. We have people climbing at 330 feet in the air, working around humongous cranes. These cranes weigh 1.9 million pounds. It takes us two weeks to bring a crane in and set it up, and then two weeks to take it out. So we pay one month rent just to get the crane there and out without using it. Add that to your bottom line. <laughs> um, schedule. Wind is a very large schedule-driven business. We usually have nine months to put up a project. And it doesn't matter if it's 40 turbines or 400 turbines. They usually give us nine months. Because the investors have got used to that's all the money they're going to put out, and they want they want income after nine months. So that means you've got to have the turbines online and generating. We are schedule driven big time. Budget, hey, if you don't control the budget, you're why even work? Because if you're not making money, don't get in business. I believe in quality. There's a lot of companies out there that don't. How many of you folks have gone to a restaurant and had bad service? 
Have you, do you go back? How many of you have gone to had great service and the food was okay, but you would go back? But if the food was great and the service was bad, the odds are you won't go back. Quality is a big thing. That's how you get repeat business. And as I tell my team members, if we, can't, we didn't have time to do it right the first time, why do we think we have time to do it the second time? Because you always hear, well, you were pushing us too hard, we didn't have time to do it. If we have to slow down, we've got to do it right the first time, every time. It costs too much money to do rework, way too much money. That is one of the fastest ways you can lose money. There's been a lot of studies about waste in workplace. In manufacturing, it's about 12%, they figure, is wasted in manufacturing. In construction, it's 54%. That's a big number. And most of that is due to rework. You didn't do it right the first time, you gotta go back and do it the second time. Our theory is it costs us about 10 times to do it the second time. So you've gotta have you got to have a good mission. Write it out. Now, one of the things I've learned, and I've been to a lot of companies that have their mission statement up on the wall and everything, and you ask them, what's their mission? And they have to go and look at it. If you got to go and look at your mission statement, you don't have one. you got to get one that everybody buys into that you believe in. And it always comes from the top down. Safety, quality, your mission, everything comes from the top. If you're not... If you don't have a safety culture and you don't believe in safety, your organization will not believe in safety. I believe in safety that if I don't do it at home, I'm not a safe person. I, I, I'll be at the house and I get ready to do something and go, nope, that's not the safe way to do it. Now I go back and go and get my goggles or I go back and get my gloves or whatever. And I quit using ice chests for ladders. <laughs> But I got a lot of cool ladders now. <laughs> Home Depot and I get in trouble. <laughs> um, again, when you're, when you're trying to get organized, think about what you could be. Plan for that, but start small. RMC, my parent company, we've made it an asset-based company and it was started off as an original company that did the original contracts. And then when we realized that, when we got into development and there was a lot of Wall Street money there, we needed to spin that off because if something went wrong, we don't want to just lose everything. So we started Nations Energy Solutions. When we did construction, we started, it's a high risk business. We started its own company. If you notice, all of our companies or LLCs or incorporations, they are legal entities so they cannot get back to me. Well, they can if I do fraud or do something really dumb, but if you run the company properly, they can never get to me. And the other thing is I'm never planning on any of the companies getting in trouble, but you just gotta plan on it. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. How many times have you heard that? This is the big one for me, and we talked about this quite a bit at lunch today. Um, Surround yourself with talent, and how do you keep talent, and how do you know when to get rid of talent? It's a tricky, that's probably been the single largest, toughest thing for me to learn, is that whole concept. And uh, everybody can't do the same thing. You gotta get different people 
and you got to understand their strengths and you got to understand their weaknesses. I can't say this enough. I, I always say understand the strengths and the weaknesses of your people, your team, maximize their strengths and minimize their weakness. You might have somebody that just doesn't do a very good job at X, but a Y, they do a great job. Focus them on doing everything you can on Y and let someone else do X for them. It'll pay off in dividends for you. People, not saying people can't do X if they need to, it's just they will struggle at it, they won't get the, the, the energy out of it that they need, and it won't be the quality and safe product that you're looking for. Um, we use a tool called MBTI. I don't know if, uh, I know some of the other uh, students I've talked to over the years have used this. It's a great little tool, and it kind of gives you a profile of what your team member is. And uh, then we kind of know what groups that, you know, they'll be really good maybe managing project controls and another group would be very good at managing like a substation or, or this group will be better at engineering. Um, so uh, I'm not saying you have to, don't, you, you don't, I'm not advertising them. I'm just saying find a tool that's good for you. For us, we use it the $60 a test. It's not a big deal. The other thing you've noticed in this picture, I just wanted to highlight, we do a lot of meetings. Now you can overmeet things, and we have a lot, we have some very set rules with meetings. One of them is, is they start on time, and they end on time. And then people don't have an excuse not to come. Uh, we always start them at a weird time. In, on the construction jobs, we always start them at 6.19 in the morning. And at 6.19, they're rolling, and at 6.40, they're done. It doesn't matter. Um, so you know you got to get the information out quickly. So in our meeting rooms, we put up signs like here. It says, safety first, environmental stewardship always. These are messages we want our people. We don't want to have oil leaks out on the job site. We want people to keep on top of safety. Another thing we do on safety, a lot of people think it's kind of interesting, we end our meetings with a safety topic, we do not start them with safety. And a lot of our clients go, that's wrong, you need to start safety first because safety's number one. I go, no, it needs to, the meeting needs to end. Even when we meet with our crews, everything at the end is safety because that's what everybody remembers when they walk out the door. They don't, re you never remember the first thing. You won't even remember the first slide I told you about. Hopefully you might remember the last one. But those are little tricks you learn because um, it's all communication. When you run a run 300-person staff, you got to have good communication. I guarantee you, nobody's in here to start a business without money, without profit, right? Nobody's in here to just do it because you want to do it. Money is king. Cash is king. Cash is king. Cash is king. You got to have it. Cash flow, you understand it, understand your cost of goods, understand your business plan, understand your budget, review your budget at least once a month. On big projects, we do them weekly. We want to know where we are all the time on our money. I'll give you a quick piece of advice. Banks are not your friend. If you think you're going to, have to, you think you're going to live off bank money, you're crazy. It, don't get in business. 
Use them when you have to, but realize they're not your friend. What, this is the, the other graph here just kind of shows you how we track all of our costs on the job. We track it all. We have a, we have a group that just does nothing but uh, tracks everything. We sign big contracts. They give us a scope of work. We do that scope of work. If it's outside that scope of work, it's a change order. We all joke about, about this picture, the little ding, it says original contract, and the change order is this nice big yacht. <laughs> um, doesn't happen that often, but it is just you got to keep an eye on the money all the time. If you don't know where you are financially, you're, you're going to go off the deep end. You're going to run out of cash before you need it. It's not going to work. The other thing about running a business is you've got to know taxes. You've got to know why they change every year, and you've got to understand what's going on and how it applies to you and your businesses. Legal. You've got to have a good legal system. And I'm telling you right now, go and learn it yourself, and then surround yourself with good CPAs and a good attorneys. I have a full-time CFO in um, house, and I have a full-time attorney in house. Uh, made them my CFO and my chief operating officer, uh, my attorney. They're on my board of directors. Um, but you've, you'll get in trouble so fast with taxes if you're not keeping an eye on it. There's nothing worse than at the end of the year, it's time to pay taxes, and your, CF, your CPA says, you owe $5,000, and you go, well, I only have 1000 in the bank. The IRS doesn't care. They're coming after their money. It's amazing what you can get sued over. I average probably five to six lawsuits all the time. Currently going all the time. I probably have ten outside lawyers taking care of them. Um, and you'd be amazed what you can get sued over. You can be, it's amazing what they sue other people and they just, you drove past the job site and they sue you because you could have had something to do with it. It's just mind-boggling. So really have a good lawyer. Go and find a good lawyer that wants to work with you. Uh, get their advice, spend the money. Understand uh, your accounting and the law. This is probably one of the toughest things for everybody to understand. Uh, in my opinion, it's... Um, it was the toughest one for me because it's a gut reaction. You got to figure out one of the things that, that I think you folks have advantage of is you already going to know how to get facts. You know how to make decisions based on facts. That is so important is you let the facts drive you to a decision because your gut is probably wrong 80% of the time. I'm just telling you now. The other big thing that I am a big believer in is data versus information. I've got data junkies that can produce so many big reports. And I tell them, if you can't give me all that information on one piece of paper, it's information, it's, it's all data, it's not information. Information goes on one piece of paper. Now the big 400 page report behind it is all data to back up that information. But 
you don't have time to, as a, running a corporation to look at 400 pages. You want it summarized to one page that you can look at and go, that doesn't make sense, and then go in there and look at it in the thing. But get people that are supplying you reports, or if you're supplying your own reports, get it to one page, but have the data to back it up. We call it the thread. If there's a number on the front page, and I want to look at it, I want to track that number all the way back through the data so I know where that number came from, what, what created that number. And my team knows that very well, because I'll look at a number and go, where did it come from? And if they give me that deer in the headlight look, that report is zero to me. We just throw it away and you go back and start fresh. You gotta know where report is garbage in, garbage out. Um, it is tough to lead a group of people. I don't care if it's 12 or 300. It's a lot of work. Um, don't fear it, but respect it. People are going to come to you for decisions, and they need you to give them decisions. It's very important. But you've also, and this is something that's been very difficult for me to do. I used to say, a bad decision is better than a no decision. And then all my people started making bad decisions. I'm like, that's not a good way of saying it. A bad decision is better than a no decision if they use all the facts that are available to them and then made a bad decision. Um, I know that sounds long and windy, but it's so true. People will do what you ask them to do, so be careful what you ask them to do. We really sit down and work with, it's, make a decision if there's facts available to you and you can make that decision. I also big believer in no decision is a decision. I've seen it happen so many times, people go, I'm just not going to make that decision. Well, you just made a decision. And sometimes in our business, there's times that we look at something and go, it's not time to make that decision yet, and we've made a decision to put it on hold. And there's other times we've got to make a decision or this thing is going to get a lot worse. It can be transportation problems. It can be legal problems. It can be permitting problems. Sometimes you've got to write them out. Sometimes you need to gather more data. Just remember, no decision is a decision. <laughs> yeah, we believe in this one. Plan A, plan B, and plan C will never work. They're great starting tools. We always, we always joke around, plan Z is usually the one we end up with. Because more, as you're building something or you're doing something, writing software or building a big project or something, which you think is the way it's going to work, it will never work that way. It's a good way to start, and then something else will happen, or there's a delay, or the, the, the ground is a lot different than you thought. So you got to start changing things. Um, we are always working on plan A, B, and C, always. And they're always changing on us. One of the things that We've learned over the years, especially in Nations Energy Solutions, where we're developing projects, there's times that we've made decisions to put them on the shelf, we call it. That means we're just not going to work anymore on it. But we've learned over the years there's a proper time to do that. If anybody knows much about housing construction, you know, you start building a house and you put a roof on it, but you don't put the wall, you don't wrap the walls or put the front door, or the doors and windows on, and you leave it for a year, all that wood's going to rot, especially here in Starkville. 
So if you start building a house and you say, well, I'm not going to finish it, at least get the roof on it, get the, all the outside interior done so you protect what's inside. So you got to know when there's times to shelf it. We do that all the time in our planning A, B, and C is, okay, we can get to this point and maybe this is the time we're going to put it on the shelf and make a decision if we're going to keep going or, or shelf it. Software, I see that with software people. I own a software company also. And we see that all the time. There's times that uh, modulars we want to do, and we go, nah, we're going to shelf it. But we've done so much work on it. If we shelf it right there, we lose that work. You know, it's worth going ahead and spending the money, getting it to a point where you can stop. As you can see, we use whiteboards. I'm a whiteboard fanatic. We use them all the time. We're always writing on them. You can even see at the top our safety we call our safety guys Safety Dave or safety, whatever their first name is. And we have their phone numbers up there just because anytime anybody's in any of our meetings, we want them to see who the safety people are and how to get hold of them. We're always planning, okay, what happens here, what happens there? Um, you can't really see it there, but that's one of our uh, big uh, semis, off-road semis. And that green semi on the side of the hill there, that rig is over about 275 feet long, just kind of give you an idea, the scale. That crane weighs one and a half million pounds, that one, that yellow one there does. Talking about software, we over the years created a tools so we could keep doing our job. And we called Locus, as our, it was an Excel big complicated spreadsheet that we've been developing for years and that's how we track the construction and that's how we can communicate with our team that you know by these line graphs is um, if they're all running parallel everything's going great but when they start overlapping that means teams are getting in the way of each other um, you can't have a crane trying to walk over an electrical trench that's not installed that doesn't work um, so we've developed these tools over the years, and then a couple years ago, uh, one of our IT guys said, we should market this. And we went, really? I mean, we use it, but why would anybody else use it? And he says, no one else uses anything like this. So we went to one of our clients and said, what do you think of our software? And they were saying, it's a great thing. We've been thinking about asking you if we could start using it. And so now we've uh, taken it out of Excel, written all the software, and um, you're more than welcome to go on the website, take a look at it. Love for your, some feedback on it. Uh, if you get on there and you see something that we can improve, we're, we're not marketing it yet, we're still in development, but we're very, it's just something that popped up out of the blue. We never, I never thought about it. It was a tool that we needed, but now it looks like it could be, we could make some decent money off this. So always look for money. I call it. Big ideas. One of the things I just want to let you everybody know, owning your own business is hard work. Uh, I mean, I hear a lot of people go, well, you own the business, so you must be on vacation all the time. No, I'm usually the first one there and the last one leaves. I'm always there on Sunday evenings getting ready for the week ahead. Um, when we were doing a lot of construction, I basically lived on the road for 12 years. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough life, but it's been very rewarding. I mean, I've, I've done extremely well with it, but it's, um, 
you don't think it's easy. Don't think it's a hobby. It is hard, hard work. And I was telling the group at lunch today, don't think there's a job too small for you. Take the trash out. I enjoy taking the trash out because that means everything's working well. I'm not putting out fires. There's not a big problem somewhere. Um, believe in big ideas. Believe in that you can do it. Grasp it. Take the risk. Go for it. But be wise about it. Put the tools in place. Plan, plan, plan. Make sure you got cash. The other thing, be prepared to say no. I've had some great ideas come along, opportunities, and I've looked at them and said, this would be great, and the more I've thought about it, I go, I don't know anything about it. I'm getting out of it. I'm not doing it. Um, I mean, I didn't realize Amazon had been in the business 18 years. I knew they'd been around for a while, but you know, you're talking about staying in the game, being patient. But you've got to know when to say no. If you work hard, you're fair, you, you can be a bulldog win an egg bowl. <laughs> That's what I have. Uh, any questions? Just under a million pounds. Each tower section is about 150,000 pounds, and the cell on top is 240, and then the rotor, and then the, it's um, yeah, about a, about under a little under a million. But we use five. Give you an idea. We use 500 cubic yards of concrete per foundation, which is um, 50 concrete trucks, 50 of the big concrete trucks. Have a good hobby. Yeah, um, I drive race cars as a hobby, and everybody goes, "Now, how's that relaxing?" Because when you drive in a race car, you can't think of anything else. Um, it's like I've got friends that hunt, and when they're out hunting, they can't think of anything else but hunting. That's you got to find something that gets your mind away from it. Back to the question of uh, why or running all these different businesses, it is challenging, and each business has got its own core issues its own risk, its own liabilities. That's the reason they're in their own group. Um, we didn't name all the NES projects at the bottom here. We just did project one, two, three, but there's actually 24 separate LLCs for NES under the NES na parent name. Because each project 
our legal advice is each project needs to be its own, um, its own uh, LLC. It is tough, and I tell you where it gets tough, and I see this happening recently, figure, it's back to the tax thing, figure out when you're gonna open it. There is, they've been going through California lately, because California's broke, and they're going back 10 years and 15 years and finding LLC companies that opened up like on December 30th or the last day of December, they didn't file a tax return that year because they didn't do anything. They just opened up the business and started the business the next year and they're getting nailed some big time fines for not doing that tax return 15 years ago for being in business one day but it was the wrong calendar. Little things like that will trip you up. Uh, so you gotta have a team. I got, like I said, CFO, COO, or the CPA, my CFO, and my COO is the attorney. He's my attorney for 10 years. I've convinced him just to come work for me full time. But you've got to surround yourself with people that understand. I'm more into building projects, developing projects. That's what I get my energy from. That's what I love doing. This bores me. This is a pain. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah. Um, in my case, it was um, I was always going to be it was always Dad's business, and I was just the one that was going to be running it, and I wanted to uh, make my own name. <laughs> Don't die on us. <laughs> But I, I just wanted to separate myself from the family business. It did. I mean, I, after watching my dad do it, I don't think I would have done it without it. I mean, it was fun to watch him start a business and how to, you know, the, how he grew it from very small from one aircraft to over 200 aircraft. And uh, like I said, he trained or he's retired now and he sold the business. But uh, in his heyday, he was training all the native test pilots, uh, doing a lot of work with the Air Force. Um, and I give the credit to all that, to what he did here at Mississippi State in the early days. I mean, one thing that was neat about Mississippi State is how they went after grants and different things early on. They would, the aerospace department here wasn't really run like a education, it was run like a business that taught, which was kind of unique to most colleges. And that's, I know that's where Dad got the bug from. The biggest mistake I did is I grew too fast in 2004. I went from just a couple of projects to five projects at a time and uh, fell on my face. That was the biggest problem. I grew without a good plan. I thought I had a plan, but it was a terrible plan. Um, 
And I didn't know how to say no. I kept all these contracts were coming to me, and they said, you want to build this? And I knew we were beyond our resources. And I kept, I didn't know how to say no. And I said, sure, we'll take it on. We can do it. We'll figure it out. If we have the contract, we'll make it work. It didn't work out that way. Um, so that was tough. I forgot the other half of that question. Yeah. It's great walking around the mall around Christmas time. I let my beard grow out longer and let the little kids, hey, it's fun. A lot of them are hiding, running back to their mother, going, what's going on? <laughs> Um, understand their team, understand their strengths and weaknesses we talked about earlier. That's really crucial in communications. And part of the communication is two ways. It's not you telling them what to do, it's getting them to their advice, their opinion, getting them to buy into things. It's a two-way street. If you create a very good communication tool, it, it will work. I'm not saying it'll work every time, but the odds of it working are so much better. I think we've got some pretty big challenges coming up. We're running out of transmission line in this country. Um, tax credits, let's talk about tax credits. Every energy source in this country basically has some type of tax credit. Um, wind and solar unfortunately has what we call a sunset date, meaning it runs out and you gotta get Congress to pass it. Uh, oil and gas and coal and all those, and nuclear, theirs never ends. They have to actually have a, a Congress pass a law to stop it. So we always get blamed that we are, we're a tax credit thing, but everybody gets tax credits. And we and I, I tell you what, oil and gas has got some great lobbyists because they got some amazing tax credits. I've, I'm jealous. Uh, but we've got a, I see the tax thing running out here soon, and that's really going to hurt us. To the point that the utilities have got used to it. They've got used to paying the low prices. We sell our energy for about two and a half to three, sometimes four cents. I mean, if we can get four cents, we're just in hog heaven um, per kilowatt. Um, but the tax credits, for, uh, we get about two and a half cents on top of that. So if we sell it for two and a half, we get two and a half, that's five cents. We're in the market for us. Um, I would like to see all the tax credits disappear from all the energy, from everybody, and this would be on a level playing field, or make all of them exactly the same. I mean, we get a third of our capital calls back over 10 years on tax credits. Horizontal drilling gets 84% of their cost back in two years. So it's not the same. That's what I'm saying. I'm jealous of the oil and gas guys. They've got it figured out. Uh, I go back to the Rockefeller days. 
It's been around a long time. Yep. If you're going to go and get a bank loan, understand it um, and make sure you've got a way of making those payments. Um, we buy a lot of heavy equipment. I mean, we own, when we're at our peak, we own, we own a lot of semis and stuff. And we were able to go to those and get financing, zero interest from them. But one of the things we always did is we never bought a piece of equipment unless we had the money in the bank. Uh, now, in the early days, we couldn't do that. We actually had to go and get a loan, and, and at one time, we owned 30 cranes, and boy, those, that was in the early days. That was back in 1984, uh, yeah, 84, 85, and 86, we built up to 30 cranes. And, whew, those were some very difficult payments to make. Uh, that's when I really learned that banks are not your friend. They don't care. They don't care. Be careful with banks. And what's an alternate? I don't know. I mean, sometimes you just don't need the capital. You don't need to go and buy the big office building or rent the high dollars. I mean, you've got a great program here on campus to go and rent a desk or learn how to work out of the, uh, out of the back of your car. I mean, for years, I convinced people we were a big corporation and I was driving around in a little pickup and doing the whole business out of the pickup. But I convinced people we were big because, you know, and when they wanted to meet, I always went to their office because I didn't want the overhead because that was digging into us run, building the business. So, costs. I mean, let's see old saying, a, dollar, I mean, a penny saved is a penny earned. There's a lot of truth to that. I mean, there is a lot of truth. And it goes back to budget. Budget it, understand it, and my advice is use a bank very limited. I use banks in our real estate business because I know I've got income coming in and we do commercial real estate, but I don't go to the bank. I usually buy the property, get my tenants in there, and, they, and I, we do uh, 10 and 15 year leases. We don't do short term leases. And we, um, then we go to the bank and recoup that money so we can go and buy another one. because our clientele is very small and we really work under the radar. I mean, we don't do press releases, we don't do any of that in our business because like when, with Nations Energy Solutions, when we're developing sites, we don't want our competition to know where we are. Uh, hope our competition's not in here. No. <laughs> um, and on construction, we know who our clients are. It's just a handful of wall, uh, utilities or Wall Street people. We know who they are. So there's no really need for advertising for us. Now with Locus, with the, the software business, this is a new realm that we've never done, is marketing. And so we have hired a, a marketing group out of Tulsa, Oklahoma called Get With to do our marketing and get things set up for us. They do a lot of work with Hilti. You guys know Hilti Guns, Hilti uh, uh, Construction stuff. They do all their international marketing. So, 
Yeah, it is. And some days I'm scared, and some days I'm let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, dealing with a lot of the big utilities and stuff we deal with, they want to deal with big contractors. Well, we weren't a big contractor. It was me and my teams that were, in my opinion, the best in the business. But um, you get, I mean, it's like, what's the old saying? No one ever got fired from buying IBM computers in the old days. You know, it wasn't saying they were the best computers. You just never, you know, if you were in charge of procurement, you never got fired for buying IBMs. Um, so we had to give that image, and that image is very something that you need to really think about. And I think we go back to your social media question: What image do you want out there? What are you trying to, you know, what what are you trying to tell people who you are? It's we spend a lot of time controlling what our image is. We control our since we're privately held, uh, we can control all of our balance sheets and everything else. Uh, now, when we do let people look in them every now and then, they go, oh, okay, you're, okay. But 20 years ago, the balance sheets look horrible. I would have been embarrassed to let them in, look at them. <laughs> It's been a real challenge for me. My IT guys were loving it. Me, I, it took them almost a year to talk me into it. Um, and the only reason I'm willing to do it is because I was actually the original author writing the software 20 years ago. And then I, was, I brought in, back in those days, I basically did everything. I mean, I had to do the accounting, I had to do everything myself, um, now we're big enough that we have departments that does it. Um, but I knew the software very well. I use the software on the job every day, all the time, so I know it. That's the only reason. But if you come to me today and said, we got this great software idea, let's go and develop it, there's no way I would do it, because I'm totally out of my league. Well, it goes back to cash is king and cash flow, this one. What we were able to do is what we call a mobilization fee. And we were able to convince our clients, this is not a common thing, but in the old days it wasn't. They said, well, we'll come in, but we want 7% or 10% of the contract value. And then I'd go out and negotiate with my vendors and say, I need, instead of a 30-day uh, to pay, I need 45 or 60 days, and it's all about cash flow. So what I would do is I get a chunk of money up front from my client, and I wouldn't spend it, give it to everybody until I started getting work in the ground because you have to make payroll. 
That one you can't um, push out, but you can go negotiate with your vendors. And it's, it's real tricky. I mean, it's a big puzzle. The cash flow, I, I think most people totally underestimate what cash flow is, especially when you're doing big jobs. Even today where we do have the money, we won't put our money up. We still use our clients' money. Um, well, the project we just finished in California took us 14 years, and I shelved it three times. And uh, I think the longest was three years, one time, and then a year, and then probably about a year and a year and a half, maybe two years. So it's it probably was shelved six years out of the 14 years. Just to give you an idea. Uh, I did a project in Illinois. And my, uh, I was doing it for a Japanese investor group. And we kept telling them, it's shelf it right now and wait. And they wanted to keep going. And then we started spending a lot of more money on studies, uh, aviation, I mean, uh, birds and plants and wildlife and all that. And then they said, now nah, we're done. We, we're going to wait. And we lost all that money uh, that we did on those studies because we couldn't finish them. We'd have just... And I told him, I says, we only need about $50,000 more to finish the studies and we can have it, put it on the shelf, they're certified, and we can pull them out later. And it cost him a million bucks to get those uh, studies going again. And that's where I really learned. It wasn't my money, thank goodness. It was my client's money. But, I, you know, if you treat your client's money like your money, they'll come back to you. I think a battery storage is crucial, um, especially in solar. We're playing around with some solar battery storage right now. The problem with uh, solar is, well, first of all, what's great about solar, you can put it on rooftops. And so you can get it right to the load where you need it. But if there's a cloud comes over, it automatically, I mean, it goes from, say, a megawatt to zero, and then as soon as that cloud passes, right back to a megawatt. That is so hard for utility to keep up with. And that's where uh, we're doing a project, Mike knows about it, uh, down in New Orleans for Entergy New Orleans, where we're doing a, a one megawatt battery storage down there for them for all their solar problems. Because they brought in a lot of solar, and when a cloud goes over, they don't know how to react to it. So our battery's picking up that load. Uh, for basically 20 minutes, and then the cloud moves on, and then we charge that battery up to get ready for the next cloud. So I think battery technology is the way to go. Tesla's uh, garage battery wall is really unique to me. I think that's, I think you're gonna, when he gets, when that, they get that one figured out, that's gonna be the one. Or any type of storage. Local at the load storage.
Uh, son, for uh, if, to, well, the blades have to be white, so to protect the fiberglass. So you've got white blades. Why not have white towers? Very difficult. Um, it's difficult, I'll tell you right now, especially with natural gas prices as they are today. Um, you really have got to get, you, there's got to be a reason for the utility to want to do renewables. That's the only way it's going to work. Um, like in California, they decided they're going to do 50% renewables by 2030. There's, you know, there, uh, there's a lot of states that have done that. Texas is the number one win state in the uh, country. Iowa's number two. Um, then California and then Oklahoma. But Texas has decided we're going for full-blown wind. So is Iowa. Iowa, their governor, there's a, the Clean, Clean Air Act that's coming out for uh, power generations. I don't know if you guys are aware of it. We call it the 111D uh, ordinance. And it says that utilities have to cut their emissions back to the 2005 days. And it got stopped in Supreme Court, but a lot of states are going, we think it's going to get turned around. And so what the governor of Iowa has done is says, we want to have so much wind in Iowa, we're 100% wind and exporting power to all of the utilities around us that are not getting on board. And so when the law passes, they have to hurry up and get into regulation. And they're going to come to Iowa and Texas and get their power. And that's what they're gambling on. So. That's where we see the big push right now is states uh, that are looking out forward or utilities that are looking forward, looking out and being future. Um, you've got some great utilities in Mississippi that are doing that. They're, I mean, we've been looking, we've been talking, they're ready to go. We're just waiting for the right thing. Um, you go to Alabama, and I live in Alabama, but I'll still badmouth them for a minute, is um, they rather buy their power out of state than in state. And Mississippi has made it very clear, we're going to do renewables, but it's going to be in our state. So it's really politics that's going to drive it. Did that answer your question? Right. I wouldn't expect anything else from you, Mike. <laughs> we had a uh, slide that said something higher than Well, don't forget about what? Black. Yeah, uh, th that one's the most important. Um, I say this all the time, don't be afraid to fire somebody. It's tough to fire people. I hate firing people. My CEO is really good at it. I'm really bad at it, but I've learned you've got to fire people. Uh, if there's a mistake or the attitude's wrong or it's just not meshing, and sometimes you just got to get rid of people because it's just not working. Sometimes you got to get rid of people because it sends a message to everybody else that you're not going to tolerate what they did. I was saying at lunch today, I think interviews are a waste of time. 
And I got a lot of strange looks when I said that today. And I do believe that. I think the best way to do an interview is hire them for 90 days. And if they don't work, fire them, don't renew it, whatever. Uh, but interviews I've learned are just a waste of my time because, uh, you know, people are going to tell you what you think, they, what, they, what they think you're going to hear. Um, you're not going to know how they interact with other people. Is in our business, it's a people's business, so people have got to interact. People got to work with each other. Um, we don't have uh, people working by themselves, so uh, it's important to hire good people. It's very important to be knowing the team's not working and change the team or fire the team. But don't be like government and just promote them because that doesn't work. Now you got real problems. <laughs> and something else I learned a long time ago, and this was something that was very difficult for me to learn. I'll, I'll make this kind of quick. I used to have an operations business uh, when we operated wind turbines. We did that for about 10 years. And I have a very good technician, an excellent technician. I mean, he would know the turbines inside out. He was the best troubleshooter. And there was a... Uh, a form a team leader job came open and I put uh, Darren Sherman that was a gentleman in charge biggest mistake I made number one I didn't train him he was a horrible team leader and now I have nobody as great as he was as a technician so I suffered in two places um, so if you are going to promote people or you are going to put people in place training is very important don't be scared to send people to school don't be afraid to bring in guest speakers or when we are building wind farms we try to bring someone in every month if not twice a month to give our guys and ladies a course we'll bring in doctors about hearing we bring in accountants about um, you know basic financing because you know you've got a lot of trades out there making a lot of money they and that's one of the things we've learned is funny for us is that We'll call the rookies. They go. They start making all this great money. They see them buying a brand new truck, and you go, "Man, you're in the construction. You don't know how long this job's going to last. You don't know when the next job is." And you see old gray hairs. They're driving these old beat-up trucks to job every day, but they've got a big bank account. You know, <laughs> so you teach them basic accounting. We bring in electrical engineers and talk to them about electricity and voltage. You know. You can die with 110 volts very easily. You know, we work with very large voltage. But most of all of our electrical uh, accidents have been low voltage, everything under 220. Because everybody goes, oh, I'm so used to this big stuff, I don't put my gloves on or I won't use a proper lockout, tagout procedure and all of that, where with the big stuff, you know, the old saying is if you can smell it, taste it, or touch it, you're already dead <laughs> with the high voltage. So. Yeah, very good. So let's give our speaker. Uh... Thank you very much.